I'm from Georgia. I bet you could have heard me even if I wouldn't have been on. I can still do that. You know, they used to call them them leather lung preachers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The rest of you, what they meant by that, I'm just kidding. What they meant by that is you, I can get as loud as necessary. Thank you. Is this the size water that, that Pastor David drinks out of? Because I need to only preach as long as he does. And so let's see here. You know he'll be watching. Where's the camera? Where's the camera? <laughs> Pastor David, is this the size water that you normally drink? I think they brought me more, so it won't be my fault. It'll be hers if we do that. I am uh, grateful to be in this pulpit. I don't take that. I'm I'm part of this right here, and I I want you to know uh, we mean it. Uh, We feel at home here. It was such a blessing to... Not just because uh, we, we affiliate in that regard, but uh, I, when I speak of you, I speak of you as our church in North Carolina. Um, you are our church family here, and I'm very grateful for you. So many of you through social media and the rest of that, we've gotten to know even better. Uh, I'm really thrilled this time. I guess the last maybe three times I've been here, my, my wife has not been able to come. And so uh, that is uh, so so that people believed that I really did have um, that, that I really did have a wife. Uh, and so that nobody would believe that that's really my woman. Uh, 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 I used to look like I belonged to her. Uh, but, you know, time goes on and, and she kept her vows and I did this. But all that said, uh, uh, I want you to, if you hadn't had the chance to meet the best part of me, and that is Shannon right back there. Honey, you want to raise your hand right there? I'm grateful for her and uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, it's been, uh, uh, and, and she's, she was my excuse for going to the Bulldog game yesterday. Um, she had never been to one, so I thought I would humble myself and go. And, uh, uh, but I did call David before I called you. I was like, hey, I'll do whatever. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Oh, bro, you know David. Oh, yeah, go, go to the game, you know, whatever. So anyway, uh, uh, I didn't know I was going to get chastised by it up here, but... <laughs> But uh, nonetheless, uh, I'm grateful for that. Look, I, I love your passion. I'm not just saying it. Listen, uh, uh, I am in a lot of pulpits and all that, and I say niceties. But this is from my <laughs> for those who are watching, I meant your niceties too if I was at your church. But, but I really mean it here. We, we, we see you as family. We love you. It's such a blessing to walk in because we've done some things together. So many people who uh, have, we've done life together. We've, we've done ministry together. And, and those are times you never... Those are, uh, let's see here. It was 50, 50 something years last week. 55, 55 years. I watched that and uh, was was aware. And, and bro, <laughs> 55 years, my man. Uh, that's good. And so you hear that, baby? 55 years of of marital bliss going on right over here. And so. Uh, uh, congratulations, by the way, about that. And all the other people who had a, an event that I don't know about, tell me about it afterwards, and I'll, I'll wish you well. But anyway, great to see you. Uh, Lord knows I need to hop right into the Word uh, so that we can stay on course here. I don't take lightly, for real, being in your pulpit. Your, your pastor is very polished. Um, uh, I've had a little bit of an investment in him. I, I appreciate everything that God has done in his life. He and Christine, as you guys know, are the real deal. And you are very blessed to have them. When they are away from you, they are, you are on their mind. You're never away from them. Uh, I, I can't say enough about how uh, God just put us all together. And what he did was an amazing thing. It's beautiful. I'm grateful for it. And so uh, I don't take lightly uh, being in, uh, though he may call me pastor, I don't take lightly being in his pulpit. So I want to respect that. If you are watching for the first time and you got this guy today, uh, man, watch, the, watch next week. Uh, uh, endure this and, and, and be able to appreciate that even more because uh, uh, Pastor David is very polished. He's a very student of the word. Oh, that's right. No, no, that's right. Well, next week you'll see the guy who normally would have got two weeks out of this, and I'm messing that up. But, uh, yeah, do watch that. I'll watch you, too. Uh, and so uh, I'm grateful for God's investment in, uh, in uh, the men of God here through y'all. All right, let's hop into the Word of God. Is that okay with everybody? Amen. All right. Uh, I'm used to my church talking to me. If you don't do that, do it today. It'll be all right. I won't consider it rude at all. Neither will the Lord. Uh, Joshua chapter 15, if you'll turn there. Joshua 
chapter 15. I know you have some notes. I did that handout uh, that Pastor David wanted you guys to have. Uh, and then as Pastor David would, he made it better. And so uh, I hope that you will get something from that and all that goes on. So you have a lot of those notes right there. And uh, But I hope that uh, you'll be able to get this day. One great thing about following Pastor David is that he is a, um, the way he approaches the Bible, we, we, we do it the same way. We are one in, in that regard. And so um, I love it when I do walk into a church that understands comparing spiritual things with spiritual things, the types and the pictures that are in church. I don't know anybody who does the types and pictures uh, who God just gives for them to uh, be able to see it like they see it and make practical application, honestly, uh, more than Pastor David. I mean, he has quite the gift of that, and, and I love watching it myself. I learned, I've learned from him. And so uh, here it is. I know you would have liked to have had a break from Joshua, but I'm right there in Joshua 15. If you want to know if I got the memo, I did. I know he's been in Joshua. I'm actually going to Joshua because he's been in Joshua, and then I thought, man, y'all would have liked me to go on to like Revelation or something today, but uh, nonetheless, we're here. I did want to do it because I think it's familiar to you. I did ask Pastor David if he had preached this this way uh, so that I wouldn't um, mess any of that up, and he had not. In fact, he did not. Uh, it's interesting how the Lord does. You know, you look at a passage, somebody else looks at a package, passage, you you heavy up in an area that maybe they wouldn't have heavied up on, and, and so really he didn't, and so that's good, and because he's laid a lot of the groundwork, you will get a lot of that, and yet, if I don't say something like he said it, uh, just to act like you didn't hear him for the next uh, 45 minutes or whatever, and, and, and hear me new and afresh. Is that cool with everybody? All right. I hope you get some notes right here about that. We won't, by the way, I won't say anything contradictory to what he said. For real, I really did compare my notes with what he had had. If you're in Joshua chapter 15 right there, uh, 13 through 19, well, is the overall passage. And when I say 13 through 19, I'm only going to preach uh, uh, a few of this. I would have, uh, in, a, in a regular setting, I would have preached this as a part one and a part two. Maybe the next time I'm here, I'll preach part two. I want to make sure I mention the part two of it uh, because really that's got everything to do with the first part of it. Because normally I would call this, I forget what they have up on the screen. Do they have that, the lion and his bride? It's really battles. I think you have on your screen, uh, your page right there, the, the greatest battles that you'll ever face. The lion and his bride, you'll see why we call it that at the very end. You'll see why, uh, I think I did have up there Judges 1 along with Joshua 15. In fact, it's interesting because Judges 1 says... The same phraseology I'm going to read to you in just a second. Uh, it's the same thing. And, and really, when I read this in, in Joshua 15, it's, it is easier to kind of just read through and skip over and not pay attention to every word. And yet, it's crazy cool that God has the identical same lingo over here in Judges 1. Now, uh, you guys know, and I certainly hope you believe, that God is omniscient, right? He, he, he's still omnipotent. We know that. We know He's omnipresent. But He's omniscient. He hadn't forgot that he said it the first time. And that's not just in the case of this case, but it's the case that every time you see him repeat himself in the Scripture. Maybe Pastor David has shared it with you the way I like to say it, is that uh, we don't have a volume. I don't know about you, but on the side of my King James Bible, I don't have a volume button. But the way that God turns up the volume to us sometimes is to repeat himself. You'll see that often. Jesus, when he taught on this earth, he did a lot of repeating. He would say, verily, verily. And every time, he's trying to raise the awareness of something. You guys understand that? And so when we see him repeat, something, it's almost like God says, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't miss this. Now, in this particular passage, when I read it to you, and then we know that he repeated it, and you can check me later on. I'm not going to take the time to go over there, but, but when you, when you, in fact, I'm, I'm looking over there now just to tell you, but it's, it's for, if you care, it's Judges 1, 12 through 15, you'll see that same lingo, okay? Uh, so, not that you didn't trust me, but I thought I'd just go ahead and let you know where it's at. But the fact that he repeats this, it's almost like he knew we would kind of blast through it the first time around, and so he's saying, hey, go, go back and go back and check that out. Maybe spend some time on that and study that. Look, if you will, Joshua chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 13. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name Deber before was Kerjath Sefer. 
And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath-Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Oxa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Oxa, his daughter, to wife. How about that? I know you were hoping if we went to Joshua that at least I'd go back to that passage because it's so rich in, in common uh, conversation. Uh, maybe, again, you went past it before. Maybe it don't even ring a bell to you this morning because when y'all were in there, maybe that wasn't where the focus was. And yet that's the passage that's repeated. Now, in a normal setting, when I said I would have done a part two or a second part of that, I would have picked back up and I would have read 18 and 19 to include in that. I'm not doing it uh, uh, and on the screen screen there, you'll see the greatest battles we ever face and the greatest blessing we will embrace. Christina sent me a message. She said, do you want me to remove that slide? And I said, no, I want you to leave it up there because I want to make this particular point. If you were to go down, and again, maybe one day I'll be here and I'll preach that, but I will say this right now. When you go down and you look at uh, 18 and 19, ultimately what the bottom line to that, the greatest blessing that you will ever embrace is fruit. Fruit from the Lord and the Lord's fruit through you. You bearing fruit, that which will matter at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we have been uh, born again to, uh, for, and we were given the Spirit of God, and certainly it's the fruit of the Spirit and all that goes on with that and what can be bore, but God wants you to bear fruit for His glory and for your good. Just know this, that everything we're going to talk about uh, in the three points I want to give you today is to try to hinder, if you don't get it, it will hinder that, that greatest blessing you can ever embrace. The devil don't want you getting fruit in your life. The devil don't want you getting it. The devil don't want the God to get the glory from it. Are you understanding? He don't want others to benefit from the fruit in your life. And if he can do something to get you to a place where there is no, uh, where there is no blessing that can come to you or through you, that's what he, he lost your soul, so he wants to quench everything else. So understand the importance of this today is you'll never, you'll never be where you can be. You'll never live where you can constantly live lest you pay attention uh, to what we learn today. And it's not just a matter of learning the points that I'm giving you today. It's the fact that understand these are the greatest battles. And I'm not saying that you will ever face. I'm saying that we will ever face. I, I could tell you that I've been saved since I'm 14 years old. I'm 54. Wow, I got a number now I can roll with. I've been saved for, did I say that? 40 years. And I can tell you that enough of these days now, I can say these really are the battles. And a lot of times you think, you ever, you ever heard this where what we pay attention to is the fruit of the problem and we never get to the root of the problem. And certainly uh, I, I feel like these are the case. These are the, these are the roots that, that eventually prevent the fruit, but they'll be the fruit of the problems that you have. I don't have to explain types and pictures. You guys get it here. I do think our Lord has put a... Isn't He the greatest artist? Uh, he's the greatest artist in all of, uh, of, of as uh, creation as you go outside and you see His handiwork. But man, when you look into the mind of the Lord right here, it is a blessing uh, to see that. And so, amongst the way He paints those pictures, uh, indeed is uh, that which He lets us see His Word in a way maybe we wouldn't see it. And so I'm going to give you some of that today as you're taking your notes there. Uh, but I hope that you'll, you'll see it uh, together uh, with me. So we're coming to the passage, the greatest battles that we will ever face. Uh, let, me, let me lay a little groundwork so that we can get this together. In the passage that we've just read, and I could have read it twice if I would have went to the Joshua version of that, we're introduced uh, to uh, a man by the name of Caleb. You can see him there in your text right there in verse 13. Caleb is from Judah, all right? We know that. That's Numbers 13 and verse 6, where we'll be at in just a moment. In fact, I don't mind if you want to right now flip over to the book of Numbers. Uh, and uh, what you'll see is, is that he's from that particular, uh, particular tribe. Now, you'll remember, it's important that we get the pieces of the puzzle together before we take off on all this today. But you'll remember that when God brought uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, you will remember that what God did was he brought them out of Egypt, but he promised them 
uh, he promised them a, a, a land. Now, now it took the children of Israel a long time to get there. We all know that, or maybe I should say most people would know that. An 11-day journey is what it, what it should have been, and it took how many years? 40, and a lot of those who came out, all but two, they didn't make it, right? And so certainly it didn't have to be, but because of uh, the way things were and the way they approached that, it was that. We have the history of that. The Bible tells us in Corinthians not to be ignorant of how so many missed that. But all of that said, you'll look on the screen there, I have Deuteronomy 6, Exodus 3, and Leviticus 25. And I have it up there to show you that when the Lord is speaking about bringing them out, He's telling them to rehearse this. When you are even telling your children, when you're giving testimony, always be mindful that I brought you out from this. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't have a period there. It doesn't stop. There's a comma. I brought you out. Egypt is a type of the world, right? Satan was the taskmaster, or Pharaoh was the taskmaster. He's the type of Satan. All of you have been heard, you've heard that before from Pastor David. And so again, uh, heck, for that matter, the, the, the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea is a picture of our salvation. Aren't you glad of that? That the Lord made a way when you couldn't make a way. Uh, and that which is behind is behind. He closed it off. And so all of that that's beautiful and represents that, do understand if that, if the Exodus journey is a picture of your salvation, don't miss this. He didn't bring you out just so you can no longer be in Egypt. I am glad that I'm no longer in the world. I am glad that I'm going to heaven when I die. But the goal of God bringing me out of the world, the goal of God saving my soul wasn't just so that I could go to heaven. Salvation is about a person. It's not about a place. The place is the benefactor of what happens if you know the person. But my goal of getting to heaven is not just where I can walk on streets and goals and do all the rest of that stuff. If I rightly divide a revelation, that may be later on than what you possibly think. My goal of getting there is to be before the one who made it happen. But I don't have to wait till I get there to have a relationship with him. I can have a relationship with him right now. Because as the old song says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he he tells me I am his own. He lives inside of us via the Spirit of God. Anybody happy about that? He lives inside of us and I can rejoice about that. But you'll never care about that if you don't pay attention for the reason that he brought you out. He brought you out, it says, comma, that he might bring us in to give us the land, Exodus 3, and to bring up them up out of the land uh, to a good land, a large land. I mean, something you should desire. Hey, hey, what's in that land is something you should desire, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, not a period, but a comma, to give you the land of Canaan. Maybe I'm cheating myself, but I want to go ahead and just say, you do understand that Canaan represents the abundant life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I come to give you life. And it wasn't a period, right? I came to give you life. And life more abundant. Uh, that life is the eternal life. But listen, life more abundant. The same source for the abundant life is where you found eternal life. It's Him. It's in a relationship with Him. But if all you are is glad of getting out, you'll miss all this abundance of what could possibly be. And Canaan is a picture and a type of that. Well, as we get back to our passage here, and we get to Caleb, who was just brought up in the book of Joshua. Do turn your Bible over to Numbers chapter 13. Will you, will you do that? Seeing there's a business meeting, by the way, September 17th after the morning service. I saw the note right here. I'm going to use it as my... <laughs> now that, now that y'all know that. All right, so... Uh, don't miss that. Uh, uh, all right, one of the votes will be whether you ever have me back. All right, look at it, if you will. Uh, you'll see. All right, I, I, now, in Numbers chapter 13, uh, you'll see how it's laid out here. He's, um, he's saying, I'm, I'm getting ready to take you into this land that's been promised. But before you get there, God says, what I want you to do, this is at the very beginning of Numbers 13, what I want you to do is I want you to take one member of each of the 12 tribes of Israel and I want these guys to go in and I want them to see, I want them to spy out, I want them to search uh, that land. He, he, again, I know this is for me. As I'm saying it to you, I'm remembering hearing David say that to you uh, as he's been speaking about this in Joshua. But roll with me. Never get callous to things you think you already know. All of that said, as we go here, he then tells them uh, in that passage, go in and what I want you to do is just observe 
the houses that they live in. Observe the food that they eat. You see that if you look down right there, you'll, you'll see that in Numbers 13. You'll see that in 17 and 18. Do you see that the exact thing? He's telling them these th is conversation. I want you to, uh, to pay attention and to study those things. Look at the food that they eat. Watch, watch the way that they do battle, God says. Just go in and, and just observe them, if you will. Now, all of that said, most of you would know the story. Those 12 spies go in and they're checking out the land. They come back, okay, they assemble all of the congregation of Israel. That's what you see happening there. It says that very phraseology in verse 26. He's told them in verse 18, there's that passage where he says, go see the land and see the people and, and all of that. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. Uh, but you go on down there and you'll see where they assemble all the congregation together. That's verse 25 and 26. Do look in your Bible when I make mention of that. Let the Word of God speak to you accordingly. But everybody's waiting to hear about this land. These 12 tribes have now came back and they're waiting to hear what is the report of this land and, 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 and check it out. Now they're going to come back with this big report of what they saw and what they absorbed. Now the thing uh, observed. Now what you've got to remember is the purpose, as I said earlier, of the Exodus was definitely, absolutely it was, to deliver God's people out of their bondage. I am glad that I am out of the world. I am glad that I'm not going to hell, right? I'm glad that Satan has no hold in my life or doesn't have to. But, again, never forget that that was a means to the end of something else. I want to emphasize it again. He did that. Look at Deuteronomy 9, another verse that just brings it from a different angle up there on the screen. What he did was he talked about that land, but as he was talking about that land, he keeps talking about that land. Notice the phraseology. Not which I shall give you, that's not what he said. But when he talked about that land with them, he talked about that land that I, what does it say? I have given you. Listen, when God talked about that land, it was already a done deal. Are y'all tracking with me? I mean, it was a done deal in God's mind. He just needed to be a done deal in their mind. They had already possessed it, though they hadn't taken possession. Write that down. Don't, uh, again, put it, uh, it, it was theirs. It was theirs. So here's these 12 tri tribes or 12 spies. They've, they came back representing those 12 tribes. And 10 of them get up to the microphone. And, and if you were looking right here and you were, you were reading the phraseology after they gather in 26 and 27, if you were looking down and you were seeing these things that, that they're saying, I mean, uh, they walk up and they're like, hey, guys, listen, you, you remember when we talked about that? That land being too good to be true? Well, it is. I mean, y'all, we were over there because you know they wanted to say y'all. You know they wanted to say y'all. I don't know what it sounded like in Hebrew, but you know they wanted to say it. We were over there and and all the people, they're up in walled cities, and, and oh my, y'all, they, they're, they're trained warriors, and, and, and they, have the, they have the greatest equipment known to men, and, and you know who we are. We're, we're just a nomadic tribe, and, and, and we're going to get there, and, and they're going to eat our kids like grasshoppers, and that may sound like a funny phrase, but that's exactly what is being said. Look, look right there, uh, verse 33. Look, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. That's, that's what we are. Man, you read that and you're coming through that literally. That's 27 through 29, 31 through 33. I want to make sure you don't think my paraphrasing is my paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing exactly what you see there uh, as uh, in the king's language. And so as they're saying this stuff, I mean, they get up there and, and then what happens is two other guys take the mic. And, and, and those two other guys, you would know Joshua and Caleb, right? And, and they're like, listen, uh, everything those, those last 10 people got up and said, man, it, it's absolutely true. The, these people live in cities like you've never seen before. These people are indeed trained warriors like you can never imagine. We saw it as we watched them in obedience to the Lord's command. We, we don't stand a chance against taking that land or that people. You may not have known that was Joshua and Caleb's approach. We don't stand a chance of taking it. But here's the good news, they would say. God hasn't asked us to take that land. This is the land that God has already what? Given to us. He didn't send us over there to see if we could do it. He sent us over there to let us know that we couldn't do it so that we would understand that this is something that 
God is going to do. And if God does it, then God gets the glory. Amen, church? One of these guys, y'all, who stood up, man, as a stud for God. I mean, he's, he's believing God. and It was that guy, Caleb, uh, that we're talking about here in verse 13 of Joshua 15. And listen, y'all, I went through all of that so you could see that when Caleb was one of those spies, he went into that land, and, and, and there was a piece of property that caught his eye. Uh, look, look at 14 and verse 24, if you will, same right there in Numbers. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. I want you to notice the little less right there. God, by the way, knows when he's talking about himself, and he capitalizes it in our King, King James Bible. So when you see that little less, there's a lot that has to do with our spirit, where God has promised it, but your spirit needs to believe it. You need to respond to it. The little s needs to respond to the big s, right? And God recognizes that. And he said, my servant Caleb, he's got a different spirit. Look what he said. He's got a spirit, another spirit with him. And he had, and, 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 and and God recognized it because of what he says right there. And hath followed me, what, halfway? And stopped. <laughs> He's followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. It's going to last even further than him. Why? Because he had a different spirit. He believed my word. If nobody else wanted it in the land, he wanted it. If nobody else was claiming what God gave him, he was going to claim it. If nobody else knew how he was going to get it, he knew he was going to get it because I had said it. He believed on my word, and God is no respecter of persons, and if your spirit will respond the same way, and if your spirit will respond the same way, God will Allow us to take that as well. Amen? So certainly we see all those 12 tribes could have had that same story. But don't miss that about Caleb. That piece of property that had his eye. Man, that was, that was going to be promised to him. In fact, if you look over in Joshua, I'm leaving the numbers, but if you look over in Joshua 14 and verse 14, here's, here's the land that it was. Hebron, therefore, <laughs> became the inheritance of of Caleb. So, so what was that piece of land that Caleb wanted? It was Hebron, right? And we see now from Numbers to Joshua that he got it, right? That God followed through, that he had Hebron. All right, keep that in mind. Put that piece of the story together. Y'all with me this morning? Say amen. All right. Now, Caleb is 85 years old when we come into the pastures today. And yet he has a testimony that uh, is what he says. He says, I, I, I may be 85 years old, but, but, but I'm able to do battle the same way that I did when I was 40. Y'all, he's not, and, and, and let me say, he's not some old geezer that just thinks he's still got it. He does still have it. Uh, because the strength never was his. It was God's strength that mattered. And God's strength don't age. God's strength don't wear out. God's strength don't need pumping up or propping up or worked out. Are y'all hearing me? God's strength is always available. God supernaturally empowered him, Caleb, at 85 years old to be physically like a man of 40 years of age. Because listen, God wanted to give him that piece of property, it had his name on it, but he needed to possess it. So Caleb said, I may be 85, but I'm just as strong as I was back then. And Caleb never forgot about that piece of property. It never stopped, listen to me, being the longing of his heart for God's glory. I mean, though he was, look, look, though 45 years had passed, he's still thinking about that piece of property that he saw when he was just a young man at 40 years of age. And now you come to that Joshua 15 and verse 13, and unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua. Give it to him. You see that right there. And you see where it says, uh, uh, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is, what is it again? Hebron. So we see that. That was his uh, for the taking <clears throat> as it would be. Now, Hebron, if you'll notice in our text right there, maybe you remember something about Hebron. Back in the other places of the Bible, Hebron is the place where, where Abraham based his life. Many of you who have read your whole Bible would, would know that. The word Hebron, write this name down in the margin right there, but Hebron means fellowship. 
The, the, the name Hebron means communion with God. And, and listen, that's what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob centered their life around. Around fellowship with God. But what I want you to see, what happens in this passage, it's important. Hebron, look at it, is no longer Hebron. According to the scripture we see there in Joshua chapter 15, look at it, Hebron has become, you can see it in the text right there, it has become the city of Arba, the father of Anak. Now, now I, I said I was moving from Numbers 13. Maybe you kept your place there. I do want you to see this. Or, or, or do I have it even on the screen? I don't even know what, what, what I have. I got it right there in front of me. I, I should have that. No, I don't have it on the screen. So look back at Numbers uh, 14 and verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. Now, they were in that land. So what we, what we can deduce now is, the Bible says, again, Hebron has become the city of Arba, the father of Anak. It goes by a different name. And again, anybody remember anything significant about Anak? We just saw it. Anak was a giant. And, and, and check this out. This giant Anak has three sons. They're mentioned in the passage that I read there in Joshua chapter 15. Do you see that? Look at the three sons right there. It makes note of them. Three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai. So, so we know he's got three sons. Uh, very important. This giant has three sons. Now, if the giant has three sons, I'm thinking they're giants too. Everybody tracking with me? All right. Listen to me now. He has this trinity of giants that now inhabits the land that used to represent fellowship with God. Is anybody, is, come on, talk, uh, is anybody connecting right there? All right, if not connecting, say to your neighbor, I'll catch you up later on. All right, all of that said, don't say it. I'm just kidding, but if it needs to be said. All I'm trying to let you to see is, what I want you to get is, is one of the greatest battles you will ever face, and God preserves it for us in this passage, is the battle for Hebron. The battle for fellowship with God, Amen. your communion with the God of the universe. Oh, how I hope that you'll get this. To Caleb, the greatest part of his inheritance was Hebron. We, we, I mean, all of the land, but look, it was Hebron. That, that part, that part was mine. Are, are y'all with me? It meant something to him. When you and I really understand our inheritance, with Christ, you, you know what we will. You know what we will see. We'll see that the greatest part of our inheritance in Christ is not heaven. Pause for effect. It's not streets of gold, walls of jasper. It's not mansions. It's not crowns. It's, it's not thrones. Listen to me. The greatest part of our inheritance in Christ is that you and I now, on this day, now, on earth, not up there, we have the ability, we have the privilege, we have the joy, the opportunity, the open door for fellowship with the holy creator God of the universe. I mean, I, I, let your mind wrap around that, that sinful. I don't know who you were. I just know who I, uh, who I was. That sinful, wretched, rotten, vile. Find whatever else you want to use their adjective. Sinners like us, somehow it is, by God's grace, that we have the ability to fellowship, to commune with the true God of the universe. Does that make anybody happy in here? I mean, it's mind-boggling. Listen, when we talk about eternal life, what we can tend to do is talk about the byproduct of eternal life. But you know what Jesus said eternal life was all about? Is it okay if we, let, if we use Jesus' definition? I have it on the screen. John 17, the Lord is talking to the Lord in prayer, and He just happens to say it this way, not, and this is life eternal. Now this is Jesus, God the Son, praying to God the Father. Now, how many of y'all think that, that both the Son and the Father knows what life eternal is? <laughs> Right? So, so oh, what he does is, is, no, but he also knew we would be sitting here in Stallings, North Carolina. We would have our Bible open and we would need to be reminded ourselves what eternal life was really all about. And so, as he's doing such, that thing is being pre uh, preserved. That thing is the prayer, which is quite a story in itself. And Jesus says this This is life eternal. What? What is life eternal? That they 
the they was we might know thee. And let me remind you, knowing the Bible is a, is a term of intimacy, right? Even when it's brought to sexual terms, it's a, it's a term of intimacy. You knew, Adam and Eve knew each other. And from that came fruit, am I right? That's the same thing that happens in our lives. And that's what Satan wants to prevent is that fellowship. Are you hearing me? That intimacy because of the fruit that can come from that. You got to get it. That's what we're going to look. When he says this is life eternal, notice heaven, <laughs> mansions, Christ. no, no, none of that is there. This is life eternal. That they might know thee, that thee was he. That was what it's really all about. God wants to fellowship with us, y'all. He can't force it on you, and he won't. He chose not to. Force love, not love. Amen. And He's not going to want it that way. He wants us to choose to love Him, choose to obey Him, and choose to desire that fellowship. And maybe I've never, maybe you, it's never been brought up to the level of what it is uh, as it is in our passage right here. Uh, but I want you to leave here today desiring fellowship with God. It's the only way you're going to have fruit in your life. Again, as we come to this thing, we fellowship with others. And when others are fellowshipping with us, they can get to know Him. Because of the fellowship that is in us. You know, Colossians 3.16, when it talks about the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly, it's us having fellowship with the Word of Christ and other people being able to be affected by that and drawn to Him by interacting with us. For ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Uh, let me assure you of something. You and I are going to be in a battle for fellowship with God. For the Listen to me till you breathe your last breath. And you know why that is? It's because there's a satanic trinity of giants pictured here in Anak's three sons that you and I will have to on a daily basis. Just like it says right there in verse 14, and Caleb drove them uh, thence the three sons of Anak. They're gonna, on a daily basis, you're going to have the option, you're going to have the opportunity, you're going to have to drive them thence that you will have to drive out on a daily basis in order to live in the full blessing of fellowship that God intended for your life and mine when we come to the New Testament. The New Testament reveals to us a satanic trinity of giants that we have to face. It's in 1 John. I don't have it on the screen right there, but it's 1 John 2. I think it's 15 and 16 and maybe even 17 has a conversation about it. But you know it as the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Via the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? The pride of life, which is exactly, by the way, what attacked even that garden. Satan never has changed that plan, y'all. And so you see it. We face that same trinity of giants. And you and I, listen, if you give in, if you don't, are you hearing me? If you cave one of them, you'll lose that fellowship with God. You don't lose your sonship. You don't lose your salvation. But there'll be times when you feel like you don't even have a relationship with a God who gave you that salvation. You got to care about it. You got to come to a place where we understand that every single one of those is a giant, a giant that you're going to have to battle with every single day of your life for fellowship with God. The battle of these giants, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Caleb said, "Listen, I may be 85 years old, but I'm going to take. I'm going to trust God to take that city." And he took it, and he took that city, that land, that which pictures abundant life for every believer, was taken over by the sons of Anak, and 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 he made it Hebron. Once again, you can almost picture it as you see him going through there in, in verse 14 when he's driving them out. It's almost like he's saying, get out of the land that God gave me. Amen. Now, I'm not acting, ask, encouraging you to be demonstrative uh, in your telling the devil what to do. I don't buy into a lot of that. The greater is he that is in you, not you because he's in you. You are no match for the enemy. You do know that, right? All right, they couldn't take the land, but God had given it to them. You're no match for the enemy, but the greater that is in you is a match for it. So as you surrender to him, but you can see, listen, I mean, that very spirit, he says, hey, look, I want, and I want you to know that I want that too. If God is willing to give it to me, I want it. I want all of him that I can have. I don't want to sacrifice that. Some people in this room, you go back to a time. I have it up there pictured in John Psalm 105, where you gave thanks to the Lord on a regular basis, calling upon his name. You couldn't help but to make known his deeds among the people. When you sang unto him, it was indeed 
praises unto him, not just words on the screen. Y'all ever seen that? Some of them up here saw it out here today. Sitting here and singing, and you're going, yeah, everybody. I mean, are you saying, you're singing it, but it ain't going through your soul. But you remember when it one day was. Talk he of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Seek the Lord and his strength. Remember his marvelous works. That was you. You couldn't help but it. And because you remembered him, you did seek him and you did glory him and you couldn't stop talking about him. You sang unto him and you didn't even have to be in the congregation of the believers. Are y'all understanding? I mean, that was you. And it's been a long time since it's been you. You here this morning on Labor Day weekend, by the way, thank you for that. And yet, maybe that fellowship ain't, ain't what it was. He didn't move. Somehow, a giant, the door was open for him. And he's robbed you of that. But draw strength that if God would let Caleb drive. Remember, he's no respecter of persons. If he'd let him drive him out in his strength, you can do, you can do the same. You agree with that same man? As we look there, remember, don't never forget that. That picture, John 10, 10, life. And they may have it more abundantly. So if we come to this thing, we see a second battle, the battle for the Word of God. There's a second battle, uh, and that is a battle for, next slide, the Word of God. I saw her looking at him like, where is he? I know I skipped some stuff. It's all good. Look at verse 15. <laughs> I picked up on that. thought I'd let y'all in. Look at verse 15. And he, that's Caleb, watch it now went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber. And, and watch what he does there. Once again, God just kind of throws in this seemingly insignificant kind of factoid. Watch it. Deber. Oh, and by the way, the name Deber? Well, before it was Kerjaf Sefer. Deber used to be called Kerjaf Sefer. Now, y'all, why do you think he, he did that? Maybe so we would look at it and look at these cities and what they're about. Maybe write this down somewhere. The name Deber means, get this, this point's going to go way quicker than that last one. Watch. The name Deber means inspired word. Holy oracles, as it would be. Listen, you and I, we have the privilege to hold into our hands the holy oracles of God. How many of y'all believe that? Yes. I mean, we are able to hold the infallible and errant inspired word of God. But just because you hold it in your hands does not mean you have hid it in your heart. Listen, this doesn't just become the Word of God to us. Every word of this book supernaturally is inspired by God. They're holy words because they're God's words. But now watch. What is said here? It says the city of Deber used to be called Kerjath Sefer. So it requires us to say, well, what does Kerjath Sefer mean? You look up Kerjath Sefer, you trace that, and the name Kerjath Sefer, again, maybe you want to write it down. It means the city of the book. Let's do the math on that. What this does is it pictures for us, this in a masterful stroke of the way God does it with his types and his pictures, this battle for the Word of God. Watch it now. Look at verse 15. It pictures for us this battle that takes place in our lives between what we say that we believe with our lips about this book and what actually characterizes our life from this book. If I were to ask you this morning, do you believe that this book, you, I, I, you just did it, right? I mean, uh, in most places where I preach, I, do you believe this book is the very inspired, ha, breathe God's Word? I mean, I could do all that. I could even hack while I'm doing it. And you would go, yeah, man, yeah, I believe that. We could certainly rally about we've got the book. I hope you would. I know this church would. You've been taught that. That said, if we had to answer whether or not right now, what we believe to be true about this book has actually been established in our lives. If right now, if the last 24 hours, the last week and a half, whatever you want to do, if, does it characterize this book? Does it characterize who we are? Does it dictate what we do? Does it dictate what we don't do? I just wonder how many of us would be a lot more deeper than we would Kerjath Sefer. 
And probably it hasn't always been that way. For some, there used to be a time where, where it was that, that, man, God could look at you and he would talk about you and, and he could say, hey, right there, listen, listen, he could have said, he could have spoken you as a, as a man of the, of the word, as a, as a woman of the book. There was a time when God looked at your life and you were like a city, a city of the book. I mean, the book had established walls and gates in your life. The book had set boundaries in your life. This book had governed your life. It had jurisdiction in your life. This word, Psalm 119 and 133, had ordered your steps. It was a lamp unto your feet. It was a light unto your path. And God knew it as you were living out. Look at that. David ever done that while he'd been preaching? <laughs> And you were living it out accordingly. God saw that. Man, I mean, I dropped... David, you need a bigger pulpit. I'll take an offering. <laughs> that is so funny. I don't even know. I don't think I need them. We'll just track that. But I <laughs> know where I'm at right here. The battle <laughs> over the Word of God. I had these numbered and everything, and I don't know where I'm at. But I'm going to sit here and just keep talking like this so that, that we'll get that... Oh, these don't even matter. Okay, good. I, I don't mean them like they don't matter. I'm just saying they're for uh, the different part of the message. All right. What about that, though? Is indeed, is indeed your life at a place where maybe you used to be known as a city of the book, but somehow the book don't govern you anymore? Somehow the book is not that which guides your steps. Maybe, maybe it's something else has slept in, and maybe it's social media, maybe it's a political agenda, maybe it's somebody else's thing. They've said it so much that you've allowed that become word to replace his word in your life. I, I don't know that, but it's a worthy question for all of us to ask uh, together. How many of y'all are hoping I find this right here? I should just stop and look at it and and see it and get that. All right. Look at it if you come down through here. This place of city of Deber versus this place of where it is that God wants to have in our life of where it is indeed that we were keeps Kerjef Sefer. People of the book. Is that you? What is it that has came in your life? What is it that has infiltrated your life? What is it that maybe has replaced that? I don't know what it is, but I know it's a daily battle. And I know that you've got to give target to that. Know that God don't want, or the devil don't want you be in that city. What he'd rather be is something that you used to be known of. Can I say to you, of course, we talk about it, and I, and I just did talk about it, but we will, we will often say, uh, as it is, we will make mention of how it is that we have the Word of God, and, and as we have the Word of God, and what Word of God we have, and we've got the truth, and, and we always say that in relation to other people who do not have the truth. But can I tell you, the devil don't care what book you got or the Lord don't care what are you hearing me yeah. it doesn't matter what book you got what you can say about the book if it don't govern your life yes. and it's a real easy thing for us to all of a sudden have knowledge puff, puffing up in the fact that we know what we got and we brag about that but it not be the sad reality is y'all listen many again we still believe that, that this is deeper. We, we, we still believe that, yes, it is the inspired holy oracles of God, but you can be deeper in your belief and not be Kerjasifer in your behavior. Yeah. Meaning, you may believe it, but does it characterize who you are? Do you remember back somewhere in your Christian life when you used to love getting into the book? You used to would bring your life before it and make sure that it was pleasing as it was unto the Lord. Do you remember that? Again, not a time of where you have moved on or thought you didn't need it, but you were constantly examining your life with what you could see from it. And listen, you got to know, again, the devil don't dib a diddly squat about what you believe about this book. He don't care if you think that you have the inspired word. He believes this too. <laughs> Did you know that? that? He believes that we have the inspired word too. And that's why his goal is to try to keep you out of it because he knows what it'll do in your life. So what we need to care about, I'm dangerous up here, aren't I? <laughs> what we need to care about is what God cares about. And that is not that we have it, but that it gets in us. Because as it gets in us, it can transform us. Can I remind you, that's how you got in. Right? 
And it's the way that we should live this life as well. There'll be a battle for life with fellowship with God. There'll be a battle uh, for the Word of God. I'm going to pick these up because I know it's troubling some of y'all. And it ain't doing a whole lot for me. All right, there it is. Watch this now. It's the last point. Don't miss it amongst all the, the charades that just happened. There's a third battle in the passage that we see there. Did you see it? Battle for fellowship. Did y'all see that plain as day? And amongst my notes, Paul, did you see the battle between Kerjaf Sefer and Deber? Used to. You know what? I don't, I don't want the Lord to say, you know what? I remember when you used to care what my book said. He used to, he used to would make a stand when he knew it, but are, are y'all with me? I, I, I would pray that, that, that I would never be spoken as a used to. But a now is. When, you, when, when your testimony is the used to, you are no longer an example of somebody or for somebody to be able to get where you are and fruit come from your life. There's a third battle in the passage. Look at verse 16 and 17. But before we get into it, I want you to see what's shaking down here. 16, 17. Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjesifer and taketh it to him will I give Oxa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave Oxa, his daughter, to wife. Okay, now look at it. It's a beautiful portrait God is painting. Watch. You got an aged father, Caleb, right? An aged father who defeats a satanic trinity <laughs> to make possible fellowship with God. And to the one who would establish the preeminence of the Word of God, the ancient father would give his daughter to be his bride. And so a guy steps up. <laughs> he says, I'm going to do it. I'll take that city. And that guy who stepped up and answered that call, his name is right there. What's his name? Starts with an O. Othniel. And the name Othniel, y'all, it means Lion of God. And anybody want to take a wild stab at what tribe <laughs> the Lion of God is from? The tribe, you couldn't make this up if you want it. I'm certainly not smart enough to come up with it. I can't even keep my notes on a little minuscule pulpit. <laughs> the truth is, I think David made this in his backyard. I know, I know why it's special to you, buddy. Sometimes we just got to release those things. <laughs> we'll use it for the next church plant. <laughs> oh, I hope he's laughing in Hawaii. Aloha, my friend. All right. Watch. Did you get it? He's from the tribe of Judah. Anybody ever heard of a lion from the tribe of Judah? Yes. Revelation 5 and, and verse 5, it references the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5, 5, the Lord Jesus Christ prevails. By the way, you do know his name was the Word of God, right? And he, look, look he, the Word of God, prevails to open the book, Kerjath Sefer. And here in Joshua 15, Othniel prevails to take Kerjath Sefer. So don't miss it. The lion from the tribe of Judah, he takes Oxa, Caleb's daughter, to be his bride. And do you know who she represents? Us! And if you are here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, according to the book of the Revelation, the moment that you called upon the name of the Lord to save you, you became a part of the bride of Christ. And you know what? You know what? We're, last time I'll give you one of these. You know what the name Oxa means? The name Oxa means anklet. There you go. <laughs> you see, you, it was working pretty good for you there, preacher. Sometimes those types and pictures just won't carry you out all the way. Uh, but what if it does? Anklet. While anklet don't seem like it means so much. Where does an anklet ankle let? <laughs> you see, to really understand the significance of that, you've got to remember or get some things down about the culture of that day. Back in that day, women would, would have been covered from the top of their head with a veil all the way down to their ankles. So here's this young lady whose ankles are adorned with something that made her beautiful as she walked. And do you remember what the New Testament calls those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what it tells us to do? 
Colossians 1.10 tells us to walk a walk that pleases Him. It says a walk that is worthy of the Lord. Are y'all tracking right there? Look at it. And not to just a little bit pleasing. Will you throw that screen? I think I have that verse on the screen. Not just a little bit pleasing, but to all. Right there it is. All pleasing. Is that your goal? Are you satisfied with just doing a little? Are you satisfied with meeting him halfway? Is that the kind of fruit you want in your life? All pleasing. And if all pleasing is available, I want it all. And so does God. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you see it on the screen up there, how ye ought to walk and to please God, which means there's a walk that don't please God. You see it? I mean, listen, y'all, from the day that you got saved until the day that we uh, breathe our last breath, you and I will find ourselves in a battle, not just in fellow for fellowship with God, but certainly that's the case. And not just over the Word of God, but certainly, and I hope, I, again, I, I'm so sorry that I dropped my nose. I'm, I, I used it. I, I, the Lord knew it would happen. But I want to make sure that you didn't miss that. That you don't just know what this is, but that it governs your life. That's why what it is matters. And if indeed it is what it is, how can we not surrender to it governing our life? And there's a battle every day for that. Yes. And not only that, but for your walk. Your walk from it. The way Jesus sums this up in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it's on the screen there, those four words. Will you say those red words out loud with me? One, two, three. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And y'all listen, there is nothing more attractive, if you will, to our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, then when we walk as his bride, as he wants us to walk and it please him. Are you with me? See, that anklet mattered. He could see his bride. And just think about all the other things that could have been accentuated, fellas. But it was that walk. It's that walk that pleases him. I am an example today standing before my wife in the back that looks will fail over time. <laughs> there better be some substance. Are you hearing me? That's <laughs> and what is that substance, honey? That is attractive. <laughs> Y'all know that, right? You've been married long enough. We, what we define love to be is a whole different thing than what we thought love was at the beginning, right? And the Lord says, watch that walk. She's walking pleasing unto me. He's walking away. And you know what? Walk in the Spirit. You compare Scripture to Scripture, and I'm, maybe David's done that, but you compare. You know what? Walking in the Spirit. How can I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? You walk in the Spirit. The Lord says, my words are Spirit. It's when we're walking according to Kerjath Sefer all over that city with the acknowledgement that it is deeper of how I walk. So please understand this thing of walking in the Spirit will indeed be one of the greatest battles that you will ever face every day of your life. Galatians 5 and verse 17. Do I have that at all up there? But Galatians 5, 17 says, says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. You see, the battle to live out the Christian life is not you ramping up the flesh. The flesh never could please God. It still can't please God, even if you're saved. Part of you that got saved was your soul and your spirit. This flesh suit never could, and it still can't. The prescription is not you get better, you work harder, you try. No, it is you die so that that inner man, the Spirit of God, can live out this life as you walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because don't you know how that's how the devil works? We get out there, we start fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Lust, everybody looks at it, we hear that word lust, we think of it in sexual terms. And certainly it does apply there, but it applies with any part of us. Lust is anything that's out of control. And we're out here, God's children, pursuing things with all kind of zeal because something's got a hold of our heart. That when 
when we were Kerjath Sefer, never would have happened. Are you with me? The walls came down. And all of a sudden, other things started driving us. And what happened was it drove us thence from fellowshipping with God and got us away. And our walk is not in the Spirit. We're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And others can't have intimacy with God by having fellowship with us. The greatest battles we'll ever face is there to prevent fruit in your life. And, and, and I'm just one who cares for this one to be the hope you were founded to be and you'll only be that. Are you hearing me? You'll only be that if you're intimate with the one that birthed it all. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've, you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe when we start talking about this and you hear this, and maybe it is somebody who blew it. They blew it. They, liked, they stopped having fellowship with God and they stopped having courage to see from the life. The walls came down and, and they, uh, other things started making way and their walk, you can even tell it isn't a walk of God. It's not pleasing God and it turns you off as well. Please don't let that keep you from receiving Him. Don't, make, don't let it make you think that all this is just, is just fake. Just going through the motions. No, fellowship is still available. The boundaries of the Word of God are still available. And if we'll do that, our walk of God can still be available where other people will acknowledge it, see it, and want it. But as hard as you may try that first, y'all heard it, right? I just can't live it. No, you can't. You're right. But God didn't tell you to live it. He told you to surrender to it. Because He can do the living if you'll do the dying. And even coming to Christ is dying to yourself. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. He was speaking to the disciples and the people. It's the prescription for lost people and saved people. Any man, you want to follow me? You want to come after me? I'm, I'm going this way. Oh, deny yourself. That's the first part. It's not take up your cross and follow me. You'll never take up your cross if you don't first. Deny yourself. Take up your cross because life's going to have one. And let's go this way. And wherever he's going, it's going to end up safe. And you can have trust in that. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this church is known for making that invitation to you on a regular basis. I don't know if there's ever came a time in your life where you have called on him. Maybe you've went through some emotional or, or uh, even maybe some kind of um, uh, going through the motions decision. But maybe this morning and, and maybe you're watching even and you're saying, you know, I, I just, I know there's more to it. And, and I've never, and I've tried in my flesh and maybe this morning, even if you're, even if you're in this building, if you'd like to receive Christ, maybe you just call on him and in a way such as this, you could repeat after me, Lord, I, I absolutely know that I am a sinner. And I believe your word that you are the Savior. I believe on your gospel, the death. Die in my death because man is sin. Man had to die. The burial the fact that even when you were buried, you came out with the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and the resurrection. And I know I've heard before that the same Spirit of God that resurrected you from the dead is the same Spirit of God that will come and live inside of me. And so today I die to myself. And I invite you to live inside of me. I want your life. Come into my life. I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. Turning from my way to you being the only way. And I'm asking you to save me. 
maybe there was a time in your life where you've prayed that and you've received Christ. But this morning, the conversation you need to have is, God, I remember when that was my entrance. And yet, God, I don't have fellowship with you like I once did. I've let something, I've let something from that trinity of giants, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, I, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, I've let something come in. And it get in the way of our fellowship. And God, today, Spirit of God, bring it to my mind. Let me lay it aside. And God, I want to get close to you again. And I know because of that that I used to be Courage F. Seifer. I did used to let this book determine my nose. And when, if it said yay, I was yay. If it said nay, I was nay. And now, God, I'm, I, just, I compare myself amongst others to decide whether or not I want to I really live that life or what is Christian. And God, I'm sorry about that. I want to be Kurt F. Seifer again. I want you to see me as that. And Lord, as I am, I know that my walk has not reflected that I'm your bride. And I'm sorry about that too. But today, asking for restored fellowship and for asking for the Word of God to be restored in my life and dwell in me richly, By your grace and by that resurrection power, I'm going to walk in the Spirit and be reflective of you. And as I do, God, please use my life so that others may find life. For your glory for their good and if you would agree with any of that you'd say Amen God bless you